Hey, I want to ask Ryan to join me because some of you have already texted in some questions while I've been talking. And we're going to uh, we're going to kind of explore those together. So Q&A, what is it on your mind about pain? And these are unrehearsed, by the way. Here we go. I find fear creeping up when I'm waiting for news on my health. If I'm afraid, does that mean I'm not trusting God? If I'm afraid, does that mean I'm not trusting God? You know, there's a lot of passage passages in Scripture that will say things like fear not. Okay, Um, uh, for example, Philippians chapter four that will look at next week, by the way, says um, it says to not be anxious, which is really a a, a low grade form of fear is anxiety. Um, And then it goes on to explain how to deal with that fear. You know, I think it's possible to experience fear. Fear is an emotion that comes on based on your circumstances. But when that fear begins to come on, I think what the scriptures do is encourage us. What do you do with that fear? Do you stay in it? Or do you choose to trust God and be relieved from it, from fear? What do you think, Ryan? Is that close? Okay, good job. <laughs> Next question. He doesn't sign off on too many of my answers. That's encouraging. Yeah, so, you know, I think the experience of fear is is normal whenever you're faced with a fearful situation. But, but do you stay in it? I, th- I think the more you develop your faith and trust in trusting God, then it, uh, it counteracts that fear and, and does away with it. Next question. You're wrong, Ryan. Is it wrong for a Christian to have prosperity or happiness as a goal in life? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think all of us would would like to be prosperous and happy. I think most of us would. I I know I would. Um, Now, the difference, I think, there is what are you living for? Um, Are these things that uh, this is what defines your priorities? Is this what I mean? And and what does that mean? What is prosperity? Prosperity and happiness mean for you. Uh, I, I believe for a follower of Christ, we need to seek to know him and to follow God and to find um, all that we need in that relationship. Now, just because we also want good things or comfort. I mean, I want comfort. I want convenience. I want good things in life. But I also want God to define that for me. And I think the difference is often um, if your definition of prosperity and happiness only relates to wealth and health, um, you're missing out on a whole lot of other things. And let's be honest, even all of us in here who are as not prosperous or, you know, don't have everything America offers, we still have more than we deserve and more than most of the world has. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's okay to have it as a goal in the sense of, Maybe have it as a want. I don't know if I'd want it as a goal. Yeah, and that's yeah. a different way to look at it. Yeah, it's definitely one of my wants. I yeah. mean, I'm not really into striving for poverty and unhappiness. Right. You know, I mean, I, what I find is I can do nothing and those will come naturally. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think the better goal is to live to glorify God in every aspect yeah. of your life. And here's the effect of that. If you yeah. live for the glory of God, Scripture says you work harder and you work as if you're working for Christ. You seek to excel to glorify Christ in whatever your career is. And if you do that, I think your likelihood of success in whatever your field of work is goes up, not down. So when you live for the glory of God, trusting him, being, you know, likely you're, you're, you're putting yourself ahead of the curve 
to be more successful. But you do it for the glory of God, not just for the pridefulness and self-gratification of, of man. And, and I think your definition of that changes, too. The more God becomes your focus, the more prosperity is no longer what everyone else says it is. Right. All of a sudden you say, hey, we have every, you know, God has what we need. I'm with my family. We're, we're following him. Maybe I don't have a big house. Maybe I don't own a house. Maybe I live in a small apartment. But that, well, who's to say that's not prosperity? Oh, and, yeah. and so, really, you know, that's the other thing that for us, you know, in our family, I think the biggest thing is God has redefined what that is for us mm-hmm. as time goes on. And and to say, you know, what, when I die, I really don't care if my house was looking at the beach. You know, it just doesn't matter. It'd be nice. That's right. But yeah. um, but it doesn't matter. And the cool thing is, Romans 8 says that even when we suffer, if our life is marked by suffering, he says the suffering of this current world is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be ours in Christ Jesus. So God's perspective is an eternal perspective. And he says, look, this is just like a little micro snap of the finger part of your life. So your real life will indeed be um, healthy, wealthy and prosperous for eternity in Christ, um, enjoying the new heaven and new earth forever and ever. So from God's perspective, we're all headed toward a glorious eternity but I think our focus now is what would bring glory to Christ and uh, and let that be the source of our contentment. That's the real big goal. Next question. Good questions. From week two, from week two, what are some practical examples of what that humility looks like from the different weeks? Uh, they're slipping two questions in on me, but that's all right. We'll allow it this one time. From the different weeks, um, how do you know for what purpose pain is being used in different circumstances? Which one? You pick one of those two. I'll do the other one. Uh, remind me of week two. Uh, now, I, I know. Well, I did week two. So, so let me that take you, week you two. answer that one. Okay. Then. Yeah. yeah. Then I'll let you have the, the, the hard one there. Yeah. I, I think that some of the ways in which humility, what's it look like when God humbles us? You know, I think the big idea is this. For me, at least, I think whenever, whenever I experience difficulty and pain in life, it just reminds me that um, it reminds me that anything I do um, and any blessing I have is ultimately a gift from God. Um, I think when I experience too much success in whatever I'm doing. And I begin to drift away from God. I become prideful. I begin to think, wow, you know, yeah, I mean, God's still there, but it's really all about me. Look at what I'm doing. That pride begins to cause me to distance myself from God, not have a sense of my need for him, my dependence on him. And then all of a sudden something happens in my life and I realize this is beyond me. This is beyond my control or I experience some some any any type of pain will have a tendency to bring that needle back toward dependence upon Christ, uh, that I do need him, and that when I experience success, I need to instead be full of praise, not pride. So for me, that's probably the big idea there. It's my attitude toward God, a sense of dependence versus independence. What about the second question? Yeah, I think the second question, I mean, the, the reality is I don't, I don't think anything comes in, nothing in life comes with it, and this is happening because that we can see it ahead of time and, and determine and know. 
I think sometimes you look back, and often it's probably many years go by, you look back and say, oh, now I can see the benefit of, of what that did in my life. But when you're in it, unfortunately, you can't just go through down the list and say, okay, this one's going to mature me. This one's going to draw me closer to God. Sometimes it's just, this one's going to kill me. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And, and so I don't think any of these come with, a, how, and they really are interchangeable. And, and they can be used in different times in your life as you go through seasons. I think the biggest thing, and, and I keep being drawn back to, I mean, the Psalms are great. If you just this week, go ahead and read all of them. And, um, <laughs> but you'll see people who are wrestling with these issues over and over again. I think in particular, you have Psalm 42 when David's crying out and saying, as a deer pants for water, so I long for you, God, in, in a dry and weary place. And he's not in a happy place when he's writing this very famous psalm. Mm-hmm. And, and he fe- fears for his life, for those who ask about fear. And, and in the end, though, he says, why so downcast? Put your hope in God. And the, what I find through the psalms is whatever the purpose of the pain is, what we learn is, is creating a discipline of saying, turn it back. Turn it back. What am I living for? Turn back and say, God, I, I won't, let me... Or use this in my life, whatever it takes. So I think we may not know what those purposes are, but if we keep saying, okay, God, how is this shaping me? And instead of, okay, how can you just become focused on yourself and say, turn it out? And and I think then we'll find the purpose in many ways. And by the way, we haven't covered every purpose. Right. I I know Dale's very thorough and and we have everything almost more to come. Yeah. But you know what? There's things that we're not going to address that you say, hey, I'm going through this. And you have you have, a lot of you have stories of, of things we can learn from you. So. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the big idea I see in Romans eight twenty is that's kind of the catch all. Romans eight twenty eight that we started with said God causes all things. That's pretty inclusive, and He's talking there about all kinds of pain and suffering. He's talked about creation and pain and suffering of the body, and every, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's the all inclusive. Well, we got to realize that one of the things we'll learn later, later this summer, we're going to look at the, the, the person of Job later in the summer. And there's a case where he went through extreme suffering. And when he asked God, OK, God, what's your purpose? God said, you know, you're not going to know. So sometimes God says you will never know until heaven what the purpose was. And what God is looking for is to is to develop faith in him uh, more than an understanding of what purpose our idea in the series is to show you from Scripture, though, that there's a lot of different ways that God redeems what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Next question. These are good. How can I best minister to my elderly, believing grandmother who is the end of her life, who's at the end of her life going through discouragement and betrayal? You have a grandmother? Uh, not anymore. But, yeah. Oh. Okay. I, yeah, I mean, you want? I, I, I had this conversation actually with my grandmother, who um, before she died, about a week before she died, who for her last 15 years of life, I've shared a little bit about her story before, but two of her sons died in separate kind of freak accidents, and so for like the last 15 years of her life, she was very angry and in fact said, "I'm an atheist. I don't care what I believe my whole life. There's no way God would do this." And so she lived in, in literally just kind of anger for the last 15 years of her life. And I remember um, that conversation a week before she, she died, really, and, and having that conversation with her and, and 
saying, you know, where are you at spiritually? And she said, you know, I feel like I've made my peace with God. But we had this conversation about God can take it. You know, and I just told her, God, he can take all your anger you've been throwing at him for 15 years. He's bigger than that. And um, and there's this kind of light that went on in her eyes just to see like, oh, OK, because I think all along she wanted to believe, but was really angry and hurt. Yeah. And and just to encourage her, say, you know what, God, God understands. And he's bigger than all of your anger, all of your pain. And and it was really cool. Then she just said, you know, I've made my peace with God and I'm ready. I'm ready now. And then she died like a week later. And I think, um, I don't know, it, it, it's difficult. I haven't been in that situation, obviously, on wondering what's what's going to lie beyond. I mean, that's a, that's a big question. But yeah. I think the encouragement is just keep reminding those people in your life about the bigness of God and that he can take every, because I, I imagine that's a time of life when there's a lot of, wondering and doubt even the most faithful of us are going to say i believe but i kind of wonder what's going to happen real soon yeah yeah. and so yeah you've recently kind of yeah i went through this in september with my mom as i sat with her while she was dying um and i would say card number six is your focus the scriptures um it's very awkward to know what do you say to someone who knows they're dying. And in my mom's case, my, I mean, my dad, I didn't have that experience. My dad had a heart attack and, and was unconscious after that, where I didn't, I was with my dad when he died, but he was unconscious. My mom was very conscious, and even more so, she was on dialysis. They took her off dialysis, and she knew that once they pulled the plug on the dialysis, that it was just a medical fact of life. She had no more than seven days to live. So we sat with her for seven days. And I would say sitting with her, telling her you love her, telling her God loves her, reading the scriptures. Because I saw my mom have some moments of doubt and wonder. And, and she would sometimes express that. And like, did I, is there something I haven't confessed? Is there something I did that I should have fixed? And, you know, was I really, you know, and, and, and you're tempted to fall back into that. Was I good enough? And, and she just needed to be reminded of grace and reminded of what Christ did for her on the cross. So we would read a lot of scripture with mom. Um, my nieces who can sing uh, would sing to her old hymns from her childhood that she loved. Uh, we had worship music that we played uh, while she sat and slowly slipped away. And um, so I'd say... Talk about it. Don't act like she's not dying. Um, talk about it. At one point, my mom said this to me, Ryan. She said, she said, I'm about ready to lose everything. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I said, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I said, you are about ready to gain everything back that you ever dreamed of. You're about ready to have a new healthy body with a new perfect home surrounded by family and friends who love you and Christ and riches beyond imagination in Christ. You're about ready to become a healthy, blessed, joyful woman. So you're about ready to gain it all back. You're not losing anything except pain. Next question. What does it look like to be in pain but still have joy? Is it okay to be sad about the pain? 
Uh, probably the first example I think of is Jesus in John chapter 15, where he says Jesus is literally on his way to the cross. And he says, these things I'm teaching you, he says, abide in me, draw your life from me, trust in me, not yourself. Understand how to abide in my love, abide in my word, love one another. And after teaching all those concepts, he says, these things in John 15, 11, I'm teaching you so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be made full. Jesus also, though, went into the Garden of Gethsemane and cried out in pain to his heavenly father and said, if there's any way, can this cup pass from me? To me, I almost see that as the balance. Jesus, uh, in painful tears in the garden, crying, pouring out his heart to God, but yet also understanding the joy set before him, he endures the cross. So I think it is possible to be uh, to experience pain and, and grief and hurt and to be really hurting, but yet to experience peace and joy at the same time. I think you can do it. Yeah. And I know this, I think this is our last question, so I'll try to give the final word and, and clarify everything. Yeah. <laughs> help, help, help me out. No, but on this, I, I think that we can't deny real emotions. So you can't look at life and say, oh, this is so great, this hard thing that's now I'm going through. I'm so happy about it. No, that's, that's fake. But joy isn't always just this outward expression of, hey, life is easy. But the way I think of it, and I also turn to Psalms here. In the Psalms, we often hear them say, God, take this away from me. Could you get rid of this? Please take this pain. I think it would be unrealistic for us to go through life and experience hard things and not say, God, can you please heal this? Or can you please comfort me here or fix this situation? And that's in a way saying, hey, I'm really sad about this pain I'm going through. And I think that's okay. The difference is, and I think of this is even related to last week when we talked about uh, grumbling and disputing and these types of things. We all like to self-medicate some way. Sometimes it might be grumbling and complaining is your way of trying to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Some, it may be substance abuse. It might be just being angry to others. It might, I don't know what it is for you. Um, but learning joy is a habit. It's learning how to self-medicate on by saying, not self-medicate, but turn to God for that. And say, God, okay, can you take this from me? How can I find hope in you? Can you teach me this hope? And I love... When, when uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, when he says, cast all your cares upon God, and he says, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. Yeah. Never says that you will gain all understanding. It says the peace that surpasses understanding can guard your heart. Yeah. And I think that's a habit of learning to say, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to respond differently. Mm-hmm. Not ignoring negative emotions, but saying, God, how can you use this? Yeah. And that's a new way of learning to turn to that instead of alcohol or anger or um, all those other things. Yeah. So. Great. Great answer. Great answer. And in fact, Philippians 4 is going to be next week's passage. Uh, we have one more week in this series next week, so don't miss that. We try to pull it all together on a sermon on how do you, how do you process pain <clears throat> when you're in the midst of it. We're going to do that. We're going to do that next week. And then we're going to actually transition to the rest of the summer looking at examples of people that went through pain. Uh, we're going to do a series of stories that reveal God in the midst of pain. Where do you see God show up in the midst of painful experiences? So this theme will continue, will continue on. If you have questions, text them in while we're talking.
No uh, questions. Oh, there we go. Okay, what does it look like to be in pain but still have joy? Is it okay to be sad about the pain? That's a good question. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, what comes to your mind when you hear that? Well, I think, you know, they're different emotions entirely. Uh, I think it's, of course, it's okay to be sad um, when you go through pain. I mean, painful things. We can't just erase what our emotions are, what our feelings are. Um, what does it look like to have joy? I think the idea of joy, it's one of these things in Scripture that it's considered a choice. And one of the ways I look at it is uh, often we t- tend to turn to kind of self-medication when we need to escape from pain. For some of us, it might be, that's why last week we talked about grumbling, complaining. Perhaps for you, it is some sort of substance or or anger or, lash, you know, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. But so scripture constantly talks about this balance between, like David would say, um, God, can you please take this away from me? And, and But then he wrestles and says, why so downcast? Right, and he talks about his pain. Yeah, and yeah. then he says, he but put God your hope it. to God, in yeah. God. So the, I think what this is for me is, instead of going to all the other things to make us feel better in pain, it's that learning to choose joy, learning to go to God, learning to develop a new habit, a new way of instead of self-medicating to say, God, why don't you fill me? So, But does that erase feeling sad? No, I think it's human to feel sad about right. pain and to ask for God, hey, you know, if you want to take this away, that'd be fine with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus, uh, it makes me think of John 15, right? Yeah. Jesus is on his way to the cross and, and Jesus says, I'm teaching you how to trust in me, abide in me. Um, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Now, Jesus, just moments later, is in the Garden of Gethsemane in pain, uh, crying out to his heavenly father. OK, but Jesus knew that was coming. So Jesus was able to experience the joy. In fact, it's Hebrew says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So when you're enduring pain, if your focus is on God's purpose in it, if your focus is on by faith, trusting that God can bring good from it, can grow you, you can rejoice when you encounter various trials. Uh, but it's a it's 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 a faith based joy as opposed to a circumstance based happiness. Yeah. Let me throw that out. Next question. That's great. Can you explain how God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves? Wow. That's well, you. that's my yeah. tagline. OK. Yeah. And actually, that comes to give credit. That's from a book called When God Weeps by Johnny Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic who's living her life as a quadriplegic, trusting Jesus with her pain. So to give her credit. Um, and here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think. We almost, as Christians, get real sloppy in how we talk about pain to it. We, we act as if, well, this is God's will for you. And we imply in that that God likes it. And my conviction is that God hates it. God weeps through it, is the way Johnny Erickson would describe it. He is weeping with us through our pain. But we're living in this season in history where God is, is, is saying, how can I take what I hate, that is pain, suffering, death, disease, natural disasters, whatever. How can I take this and use it for good? So he takes what he hates and he wants to redeem it for good by growing us stronger, by enhancing our ministry to other people, by, um, by 
strengthening our message of the gospel to the world uh, by getting the attention of the world with pain so that they come to him, draw close to him. All these things are reasons why I think he uh, those are ways that he flips it for good. Good question. Give me another one. <laughs> this one's Ryan. I don't even know what it is. This is yours. <laughs> Give me a softball. Come on. Hey, come on. No, there we go. How does Christian counseling help someone in pain who finds that prayer and study of God's word on their own is not enough? That was a good gamble you went on that one. Did not yeah. want to I didn't know that. what was coming, but I'm glad it's yours. Take it. <laughs> Well, I, I think I understand the question here in, in saying it, it sounds like there's a little bit of how what is the role of using modern psycho, you know, psychology to help if just turning to the word. So many of you, if you're going through some maybe some severe depression or hurt and in scars and you say, OK, I've been praying, I've been turning to the word and I still have this, this something I'm going through. Um, so how does Christian counseling play into that? I, I think that we can certainly learn and use things that work in the world. Um, it, it, just because it might be a modern psychology, it doesn't mean that God's not saying, no, that's, that's horrible, don't ever do that. So if there's, sometimes there's counselors that are really helpful in helping you process through right. deep pain, and you know, I think it's okay um, to say, hey, I need some extra professional help to get through this particular situation. Because right. there's some real deep hurts that, that we can't, sometimes you just can't get through on your own. You need help. Right. I, I just want to reinforce what Ryan just said, you know, because the reality is once you live with pain, let's take depression as a source of pain. Uh, depression is um, uh, when you live in a state of depression for an extended period of time, it, it will ups, it will upset the, the chemistry of your brain as well. So th- it can begin as a faith based emotional issue, but it can become a physical issue, too, that affects the, the physical aspect of your systems and and uh, as well as a, an emotional issue. So sometimes you need help uh, and sometimes medication. There's nothing unspiritual about taking medication or getting professional help for for additional counseling. So and the neat thing is the, the Bible doesn't say only read God's word and only pray and you'll be healthy. The scripture also says that we are to encourage one another. We are to help one another. All those one another words in the Bible say that sometimes you need help from real people who understand the problem, who can help you process it. So uh, there's a real value in counseling, especially if it's from a Christian counselor that understands how to integrate the spiritual with the physical, with the emotional. It's all of, of real value. So all the Christian counselors in the room, um, you can send me a gift. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke. A free we, session. That was a joke. Well, maybe a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe a free session. You think I need it, right? Okay. A free session for Pastor Dale. Next question. You'll get this one, too. Okay. How do I help someone who is bitter and mad at God? Is it even okay to be mad at God? Mm. You know, I, I mentioned this after a, a similar question in the first service, but I, I think, you know, my grandmother's a good example of, um, you know, she lost two of her sons, both of my uncles, um, to separate freak accidents. They died. I mentioned it before, but she spent the last 15 years of her life angry at God. 
and um, to much as saying, like, God, you know what? If this is who you are, I don't want anything to do with you. And would say, oh, I'm an atheist. And, and you know, it's one of those things that it, when a week before she died, I had that conversation with her. And to say, you know what? For these last 15 years, to say, like, you think God can't take all that? He can take all your anger. He's bigger than that. And he understands you went through some really intense hurt. And, and to speak into her life and say, God understands that. But you know what? You've been throwing stuff at him and yelling at him for all this time, and he still wants to love you and forgive you. It was so great when she said, I've made my peace with God, and then a week later uh, passed away, and I believe yeah. is right. with him. And right. I don't think he's going to say, okay, explain the last 15 years. I don't think he's doing that. I think he says, hey, welcome. Yeah, that's a great point. I think God is big enough to handle the times that we're frustrated with him. Yeah. And you see in the Psalms at times, you yeah. can sense David's frustration <laughs> with God, if not anger. Uh, God, why don't you show up? God, why are you letting the unjust rule? God, why are you letting bad things happen to good people? God, God, God. You know, it's not so much is it okay to be mad at God. Sometimes you will feel anger toward God. It's not healthy to stay there. Right. I mean, your grandmother spent 15 years mad at God, and God, God can forgive us if we have come to place our faith in Christ. Um, but yet, like any other sin, I mean, being mad at God ultimately becomes a sinful issue for us to deal right. with. Uh, because, uh, you know, we, we do need to, um, I think this is one reason we're doing this series. I think pain is one of the main things that Satan uses to get believers to turn away from God. Um, and I think one thing is, I think a lot of times I would say if a person is bitter and mad at God, I would ask them, I would say, tell me about what you've been through. And I would try to love on them and empathize with them. But then I would say, do you think God really finds joy in what you're going through? Did God cause it? I think, there, I think we get real flippant about saying this, this kind of flippant Christian teaching that, that you know, we, we misunderstand that, okay, God causes all things. I say, well, no, wait a minute. God is never the author of sin. Okay, so if what you're going through is someone hurts you, or life hurts you, God did not cause that. He may have allowed it. He allows everything that happens as a sovereign God. But yet we attribute and blame God for a lot of things that I think someday we'll say, wow, God, I realize, if anything, I should have been ticked off at this person or that person or life or even myself. For, you know, I think yeah, we need to be very careful. God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And someday he'll do away with it. Uh, so I would uh, encourage a person like that to talk through their their frustration with God. I'd also encourage him to read. Best One of the best books I ever read was a book called Disappointment with God. And when I meet a person who's bitter at God, angry with God, I give them that book. It's by Philip Yancey. It's very well written. Yeah. Next question. Is sin the root of all pain? Um, ever experienced in the universe? Or is, it there, or is there any other cause of pain outside of sin? Well, Jesus tackled this one. Um, put it this way. If man had never sinned, I, what my understanding of the Garden of Eden and of the life God created uh, and of the life God will recreate someday in the new heaven and the new earth is that it, 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 is, a, it is free of pain. Says there'll no longer be. Revelation 21 says there'll no longer be any sin, any any suffering, 
any disease, any death. Um, so the very fact that God will someday eliminate it when sin is eliminated tells me that in one sense, all pain is rooted back to uh, the fall of man and sin. Now, is all experiences of pain now the direct result of someone sinning? I'd say the answer is no. There's a lot of natural disasters. There's a lot of various things that happen that you didn't sin. Someone else didn't sin. But pain happens in this world. So in that sense, Jesus, for example, when the, the tower fell on the people and it's okay. So who sinned, him or his, or his parents? And Jesus said, you know, that's not the issue. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing, too, if you think in the original creation of man is we enjoyed intimacy with God and a face-to-face intimacy. And could you imagine how our problems and issues and pain would be very different if we had God face-to-face and walked closely with him? So essentially, even that separation from God changes our perspective on pain and, and therefore creates a sense of pain because we don't have that assurance that we once had. So okay. We have one question. We have left. the booth says one more, one more text question. And, and before, before we answer this, um, well, I'll let you read it and then I'll let you think about it because I'm not going to answer. Is this your question? Okay. <laughs> no. How do I get past my own hurt working for Pastor Dale and, uh, and minister to other pastors who had I, te- I texted this one this, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw right you here. texting yeah. earlier. Yeah. How do I get past my own hurt to minister to someone else in theirs? Should I even try to do this if I'm still really hurting? Let me say that the healing process of of, uh, pain, take grief, for example, is a process. It takes time. Um, And... uh, I think some, sometimes the most effective people at helping others are still in the process because they can say, you know something, I really understand your pain because I'm there. I mean, I'm still feeling it, too. But then when any time you can share with someone uh, God's word, God's truth and what Christ is doing in your life, what he's teaching you, what he's what he's doing to help you with your pain, I think you can be in it. And also minister to others who are going through it, um, whether you're still in it or whether you've kind of now, quote, moved somewhat beyond it, whatever that means. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, just naturally, I think there's probably a period of time too where you don't try to be a hero right away. If you it's a fresh wound, you know, there's the old Jewish tradition of the it's the first seven days. You just sit there and people will come and just be there for you. So if it's super fresh. You don't need to start saying, okay, God, use this if you're going, I don't even know which way is up. Because there's the stages of grief, too. And I think, you know, if you're in that denial stage, probably not the time to help people. But um, you don't have to be fully healed because I don't think any of us will be fully healed. And I think, you know, uh, use that process. But, you know, get past that initial shock, denial, all of that, I think, and just rest. And that's actually very Mm -hmm. biblical to come and just take you know, a period of time to be ministered to, and that's okay too. Yeah. But there is a time to then use that. So if you've been ministered to for 14 years on the same issue, you know, start using it, start looking outward too, I think is, a, yeah. is something. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest things we do to help one another live in a world full of pain is to remember that Romans 8 that I started with today, Romans 8 
gives the rationale behind why we can trust God, that he will bring good from what he hates, that he will redeem our pain for good. And, it, and the rationale in Romans 8 goes like this. He says, for how will he who did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with Christ freely give us all things? For nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, not this or this or this or this. And he lists all kinds of sorts of suffering. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How do you know that? It's by reflecting on the cross. So today we're going to move back into worship and let the band come and lead us in a time of communion. We're going to have communion shared. I know I pointed over here because usually communion is over there. So ignore that. Okay. But they're going to serve you communion. Sit, reflect, pray, uh, process what you've been learning and recommit yourself to the fact that Jesus and what he did on the cross is indeed the only hope that we have. Let's pray. Father God, as we serve the bread now and begin to reflect on who you are and what you've done for us, Father, help us to apply this to our own lives. Help it, help it be the, the, the foundation stone of our trust in you. That we trust you because you've proved your love. Even if we look at life and life doesn't, We don't feel the love of God every day. We pray that as we focus on the cross, that we be reminded that you are the source of our strength and our hope and our forgiveness. Thank you for life in Christ. We share the body of Christ now in Christ's name. Amen.